0: All right, well, welcome again. If you're joining us online or if you're in the room, my name is Ryan, I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads and so glad that you are connected today. See, the has took up a whole row. Just filled the whole row up, big family. It's funny, like, it's like we're sitting so far apart from one another. When you see like every seat full, you're like, oh, the place is bad. Hey, listen, if you're online, I want you to do something for me. If you're in the room, you can do this as well. Bree, if you're listening, and I know you are, Bree is hosting our online campuses uh, on Facebook and uh, the online campus itself. Uh, Bree, put this in the comment section. 207-608-1106. I'll say it again if you want to write it down. 207-608-1106. Let me say it one more time. 207 207- 608-1106. That's my cell phone number. Yeah, I know. It might have been the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life right then and there. But here's what I, I need you to do if you're online right now with that phone number. Okay. What I need you to do. You might as well have it, by the way, because I get all kinds of text messages thinking I'm some woman named Gianna selling me all kinds of stuff that doesn't even, I mean, what they're trying to sell me, whoever's trying to sell it isn't sure whether I am a man or a woman either. So I get those text messages all the time. So you might as well have it too. Uh, But if you're online, what I want you to do right now, I've got my phone with me so I'll know, please take a picture of yourselves wherever you are, tuning in, connected with us and send it to that number. 207-608-1106, send it to that number and I'm gonna watch and see. And when you send the picture, put your name with it as well because you're not in my contacts. (laughs) Jim, I can see you, you don't have to do it, but you can. Jim's doing it right up here. If you want to do it in the room, that'd be fun too. And here's the thing I just want to see where everybody is because it's good to see you. Uh, and also, if you'll send me a picture of yourself, your family with your name, I'd like to pray for you this week uh, just by your face and your name. So you can do that right now to my cell phone, and that would be wonderful. So we'll see if anybody's going to do it here. I'll wait. We'll wait. See, I'm just kidding. 207-608-1106, two zero seven six zero eight one one zero six. All right, and I got to tell you, we're working on. Oh, look, there's one, Jessica Perez. Thank you, thank you, Jess. And and oh, and who's that with her? That's Jackson. Can you see it? Can, I don't know if you can zoom in. You can't see, but uh, yeah. So text those to me. I'm gonna make sure to turn. Oh, we got the auditorium. That's great. Jim and Dennis out in there. That's a scary mask. That's a scary mask. Oh, there they are back there. All right. So, uh, oh, here they're coming in. Let's see, who's, who's with us? Jill, date, thank you for tuning in and joining in with us. Oh, my phone's blowing up. I feel so loved. <laughs> this is actually how to like deal with my low self-esteem. Like they love me. Oh, this is so good. Bev Lamb from all the way in Maine texted in. That's great. John and Dawn, oh, so good, so good. Very cool. Oh, keep them coming in. I love it. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. It really does. So uh, that's gonna happen for a long time here, hopefully. You gotta figure out, you know. I was gonna set it right here, but it'd be like vibrating the whole time. (laughs) Like, what is wrong with him? I don't know what to do with my phone now. (laughs) Okay, we'll set it right there. Well, it'll vibrate the whole, oh, this pocket here, but then it'll look like I've gained more weight than I have already in COVID. I don't want to do that. So listen, we're launching a brand new series today. Well, uh, Isaac, what's up? Oh, no, I don't want to give you my germs. It's safe. I appreciate that. Uh, He was scaring me. He's like, he had a question. (laughs) I'm used to that in our staff meetings. So listen, it's good to be together, everybody. Um, Listen, we're launching a brand new series of talks today. If you are new to Crossroads, maybe you're tuning in for the first time, maybe you showed up because a friend said, hey, we're starting back up in person and you wanted to come, that's awesome. All of, Most of our series here, are, are, most of our talks are in a series and they kind of build off of one another and this is not gonna be any different. And I wanna say, I'm really excited that you're tuning in, whether it's right now in the room or online or whether you're watching this on demand, because I really do believe that this series that we're gonna be in for the next eight weeks, including this week, is gonna be one of the most important series of talks for the next 10 years of our church. And it's pretty crazy when you think about it. Like, Rod, who's the strategic planner? He's like, that's nonsense. You can't think 10 years ahead in this climate, right? Uh, it, it is true. But it really is. This is gonna be very foundational for understanding, I think, some language around who we are and what it means to be a part of Crossroads Church and how we understand this thing called the Christian faith. Uh, and that's what we're talking about. So if you're new to church, this isn't one of those series where you come and I give you eight tips on how to have a healthy marriage sorry. Uh, But the good news is it's not a talk on giving if you are new. (laughs) So that's always a winner if your first time in church isn't about giving. All right, But but I think this can be if you are new to faith or maybe you're returning to faith. Maybe you had a bad experience with faith. Uh, Maybe you had a bad experience with God. Uh, Maybe you have rejected God. Maybe you've rejected this and, and for some reason you're here because she's really pretty. And she said, we'll go out as long as you go to church with me, right? Whatever that might be. I think this could be really powerful for your heart as well. And for those of us like myself, who we've been around this thing called church for a really long time, I think this will be a wonderful season for us to reimagine, uh, and ha- reimagine new ways to communicate the good news like it's really good news for everybody and what it really means to be this follower of Jesus. Uh, h- how many of you in the room uh, are married? Raise your hand up nice and high, okay? So if you're not married, look around. Those are the ones that are available. Uh, just kidding, raise your hand. So some of you are married. Uh, if you're at home and you're married, just hold, hold that. Uh, how many of you have kids? You have children, raise your hand at nice and high. Oh, it's good. Uh, How many of you have a little bit of money? We're not talking about giving, so it's okay. It's safe to raise your hand. You got a little bit of money, right? You got a job. Uh, How many of you got a career? These are all things that many of us have, but they're also things that many of us have a vision for, right? We have a vision for what our marriage would look like. We have a vision for what our careers would look like. We have a vision for what raising children would look like. The the reality is you have that little baby, right, when they're first born, and you think this is what it's going to be like to be a father. And then life happens, (laughs) and you're like, what was I thinking? Things happen, right? But, but we do all have a vision for our lives collectively, for these areas of our lives. And, and why do you have a vision, right? Why do you have an understanding of what that is going to look like? I would suggest we have a vision for things that we create. So when, when you get married, the two become one right there's this wonderful principle of union that happens and you create something new you know i bet if you're honest with yourself sometimes if you've ever had a marriage like mine that there's uh, bumpy spots is that a nice way to put it <laughs> you know doubts as to whether this was the right decision maybe i don't know it's because you bring an assumption an idea of what marriage should be and and when the two become one it's something new It's not half of this family and half of this family. It's actually something brand new, and that's part of the journey of marriage, right? I I feel like the first kind of three or four, five years is kind of recognizing that it's okay to create something new. It's okay to abandon traditions that you had to create new traditions for this new thing. You've created it. You have a career, right? You make a decision. This is the job track I want to take. And you have a vision for where you're gonna be. I talk with people all the time. They say, well, I was gonna retire last year. They're like 34. I'm like, what in the world? I'm in the wrong line of work, 34 years old. I met a guy yesterday. I was walking uh, out in our neighborhood with our dog and, and this guy came out, his name's Mike. He seems like a really nice guy. He asked me the dreaded question, you know. so what do you do for a living? Right? And when you're in my line of work these days, that tends to shut down every conversation. So I've tried every way possible to say this in a like sanitized way. Oh, I'm a nonprofit leader, you know, or whatever. I'm, <laughs> I'm a group counselor. I don't know, you know, and I finally just own it. I'm like, oh, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. And you get that kind of look, you know. I get it anyway, because I think people look at me and are like, really? They just let anybody do that these days, huh? You know, but but Mike was a really nice guy and he talked about the church that they went to and, and, and everything, but he, he looked like he was maybe my age. Uh, he had kids certainly way younger than me. Like his little daughter was there and his daughter was like seven, I bet. He was like, yeah, I retired last year. I was like, what? goodbye. I just left. I didn't know what to do besides get bitter, you know? But like you have that vision, but I met a lot of people, so I was gonna retire, but something happened, right? And you couldn't retire. For, for whatever reasons, because here's the thing, we all have experiences that work for and against that vision, right? We have experiences that work for and against the vision for our children's lives, for our lives. Some of those things are at our own hands, right? We make decisions that go against the vision that we have for our finances, right? We buy that boat or we don't buy the boat, we just buy something else that we shouldn't buy. I don't know what it is, but you know, you're smart people, you go to this church, right? And, and so at the end of the day, we all have the. And we also have experiences that happen to us, right? The pandemic happens to us, right? I had a vision for what my first year at this church would look like. It wasn't this, <laughs> right? Like, let's be honest, it wasn't this, <laughs> you know? It, it, this is actually one year, like today, one year from when I started the teaching here, right? No, 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 stop. You're very kind. You at home should be clapping. Uh, I don't know if you heard people here clapping, but... Um, but like, that, that wasn't it. And I, like, I'm sure there are things that have happened that are my fault, <laughs> but I'm confident COVID isn't, right? <laughs> like I'm very, very confident that one's not my fault. Others, yes, 100%. Right? So there's things that we do, things that happen to us. And we do find ourselves in these moments of life where we say, this isn't how I pictured my life, right? I, I honestly did not picture that a year from last October, we'd be sitting in here wearing masks, with over half of our congregation watching online, tuning in for safety, we just didn't picture that. Now, if it's because if we have vision for things that we create, this got me thinking about what about God, right? What about God? And I started wondering: Does God have a vision for this world? Right? If I believe, and you may or may not believe this, and that's I'm not. That's okay. I believe that God is behind creation, that this. What we use the word God for is behind creation, right? And, and I believe that God is sustaining and holding all things. I believe that every person in this room is fearfully and wonderfully made. Every one of you. Fearfully, I don't even need to know anything about you, but just as you are, the reality of you, your desires, your, your, your dreams, who you are as a person, your, like you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I believe. I believe that there is a creator behind all of it, right? So, if there's a creator, does this creator have a vision for this world, for the universe, the ever expanding universe that's being created? And I started to wonder. If, if, if that is true, then God must have a vision, right? If we're, if we're in a sense created in God's image and part of what we do naturally is have a vision for the things that we create, the things that we want to see happen, surely God has a vision for this world. And then I started wondering this question, right? Well, does Christianity reflect God's vision for the world? Does the Christianity that I inherited, that I grew up with, does the Christianity as expressed maybe in, all, in a lot of our circles that we're participating in, does it reflect God's vision? And that kind of began to drive some of this exploration. So I tend to turn to the Bible, to scripture, to get the big picture, to, to, to find wisdom, right? I don't, I've come to a space where I don't necessarily go to scripture for rules. Uh, I, I think that that can be very problematic. I think it's easy to find one verse and find a rule that can like justify just about anything. But I thought, what if we looked at some of the great themes or we looked at one of the great themes in scripture versus one little text on this is God's plan, God's vision. So what I wanna do today is give this big, broad introduction to what I really do believe is God's vision for the world based upon one of the great themes of scripture. Now, I believe that there are some great themes that are threaded throughout what we call the Bible, which is the collection of the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures, or what some would call the Old Testament and some would call the New Testament. So, language has shifted in a lot of the world when it comes to these writings. And we, you know, in a lot of worlds, we don't like to use the word old anymore because it has a connotation to it. So, we honor that it is part of the heritage of the Hebrews and part of the heritage of Judaism. It is their scripture and it is part of our story as well as Christians. And so, if you hear you may say Hebrew scriptures. In your mind, you can think Old Testament, but I use that in a term to just honor the, 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 what is Judaism in our world, a very beautiful religion. Uh, and when I say Christian scriptures, I will oftentimes be referring to the New Testament, right? What we call the New Testament, New Covenant, right? But these as we grow and as we become more sensitive and aware of the way our language affects people, these become words that are good for us and good for human flourishing. They're less dualistic and they don't present, you know, a damaging view of another, which is, I think, wonderful. So I think without the whole, in the whole of scripture, there are these big themes. We're actually in January uh, gonna start a series where we look at these big themes. We're gonna talk about seven or eight of these great big giant themes that help us know how to interpret and deal with the Bible. Again, it's gonna be, you're gonna just love it, all right? Some of you are like, oh, okay, well, I got eight weeks to find a new church, but no, it's gonna be fun, I promise, all right? Well, I don't know about fun, but okay. So one of the big themes that, we're, that I wanna show you in scripture, I'm gonna give it to you right away. And then I wanna show you why I believe this is a theme and why I believe this is actually the ultimate vision for the world and why it should affect the way we live out faith by, by doing what's called a survey. I wanna look through the development of scripture, of faith and show you why it's kind of baked into the whole thing rather than just look at one Text, okay? So here's the thing. I believe that God's vision for this world is the biblical theme of universal shalom. Universal shalom. Now, shalom is a Hebrew word that is often translated as peace, right? So we might say that God's vision for the world. Now, we, we as the Christian faith join a couple of other faiths in the world with this very audacious statement that there is one God, Right There's one God. Now, what's unique about the Christian faith is we believe that this one God that is in all, creator of all, sustainer of all, in some very powerful, mysterious way was enfleshed in the person of Jesus. And the person of Jesus kind of reveals to us the true nature of this one God that is Lord of all, okay? So that, that, so when I say God's universal, that's what I mean. I mean God's universal vision for all that God has created, all that God loves. Every person on this planet, God's vision for God's world. And not just the people on the planet, but creation itself. The trees and the mountains and the rocks and the rivers and the bugs. Oh, the bugs. What is up with Colorado and bugs? I was out running yesterday, walking, running, and like, I just was eating bugs. It was very weird. They told me there were no bugs here. It was kind of weird. They also said it didn't snow a lot come September. No, okay. So this this Hebrew word that we translate as shalom or peace is used 500 times between the Hebrew and the Greek. So between the Christian scripture in New Testament Greek and the Hebrew scripture, Old Testament Hebrew, 500 times this word is used. And I really do believe that this word is the key to open the door to a new way of life, a new way of seeing God's universal world and what God is doing in the world, right? And the entirety of scripture consistently gives us images that point to God's vision of peace. Consistently, it's baked in the whole thing. But we have to first understand that this idea of peace it gets translated as peace is much, much bigger than the absence of conflict. So oftentimes we'll hear or we'll think about this word peace and we think, oh, well, that just means nobody's at war. Nobody's fighting. But that's like to say that the the word shalom or it's Greek equivalent is, is the word peace or like calmness or no war or no conflict. It's kind of like saying, well, the Rocky Mountains are, you know, they're like some hills over there. Or it's like saying the the Grand Canyon, it's kind of like just a big crack in the ground, right? It's a bit of an understatement because this word in in all of its nuances and how it gets translated has the connotation of at times completeness, uh, health, wholeness, safety, welfare, soundness, tranquility, perfectness, fullness, prosperity, harmony, rest. Now, if I could magically snap my fingers and we could turn those into the words that we use to describe the state of the world, like we'd all be like, oh, (laughs) like it'd be amazing, right? To know that every person on the planet had fulfilling work that met their needs, that every person on the planet had access to healthcare that kept them healthy that every person had access to a harmonious way of living with the earth, right? I mean, we, the, the, there's so much to this word. And in fact, the idea of creation, the first image that we have, right, in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, creation and this garden in our story, in our creation story, are images of unbroken shalom. Now, you will hear me at times talk about the creation story and maybe even use this word for other stories in the Bible, I might use the word myth. And I know that that can freak people out, okay? But hear me, I'm using that term in a very technical sense. It has nothing to do with truth or fact. Or it has everything to do with, actually it has a lot to do with truth. Myths, we have myths in our world that give meaning to things. So I use it in somewhat of an academic sense. So I don't want you to freak out. Um, I I personally don't care whether or not a a person believes in seven literal days of creation. I don't think God cares to be quite honest with you if if people believe in that. Um, I think there's such beauty in the passage. I think it's one of the most important things we have in scripture because it's right in the beginning is our Christian story, our Jewish story of creation, our myth that gives meaning to existence and what it's all about says, the point of it all is union. The point of it all is harmony. The point of it all is walking with God in the garden and, and relationship with animals and the care of the earth. That there is no uh, subduing of one another. There is, no, uh, there is no lording over humanity in our story. There's a sense of union between all of creation and God. And it's right there at the beginning. And then we, we, if we move through, you can move through the law, the books of the law, right? You can move through Leviticus and you see a whole lot of laws and I don't wanna go through those because they're super boring and only I would find them interesting. But so much of the, the Jewish law and some of them are very weird and bizarre and we would say old fashioned and backwards and by our human conscience they are. But when you're talking about 3000 years ago and the violence that plagued the earth, You have this push towards the care of the poor in the laws, right? This push towards giving the land rest, this push towards an understanding of all of Christians. You have Abraham being called out. And what does it say that God says, I'm gonna bless you so that you might be a blessing to all the nations, right? The election of Israel as a nation itself was for the sake of the world, right? It wasn't wasn't this little low, you guys are good and everybody else is bad. It was so that everyone might see and understand the glory of God, the fullness of God. And we move into the prophets, right? Now, and and again, if you're new to Bible study, a lot of these words are kind of like, oh, I've come to another church, this doesn't care about me. I do, I promise I do. So the prophetic writings are these books that really are giving voice to the disruption of the status quo. So if you think about a prophetic voice, really it was the voice of the, the, the fullness of God stepping into the nation of Israel saying, you're getting it wrong. And the prophetic voice and the prophetic message wasn't about predicting the future. I'd like to just say that out loud. It never was. It was about calling God's people back to God. And even most of the prophetic messages that deal with quote unquote, the future, it was always basically this statement. If you don't get off this path, you're gonna find yourself in a lot of trouble. And the only way the ancients knew how to describe that was God was going to get you. But you've done this with your own children. You said, you can do that, but here's what's going to happen, right? You didn't say, if you do this, God will get you. You might have said that, but hopefully not anymore. Like, hopefully you have come beyond that, right? An encounter with Jesus. But there was, the message always flows through. And so a couple of, a couple of uh, examples of this are the prophet Isaiah, one of the greatest books of prophecy we have in scripture written over a probably 80 year period, a whole collection of school that emerged out of this. In Isaiah chapter two, we get this vision, an image, a metaphor of the, the mountain of the Lord that is a place where shalom exists. Many people shall come and say, come let us go up to the Lord's mountain, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways. Forgive the pronouns, we're, this is the imagery that we have. Uh, I always like to say, if, if you're in a space and, and for you, uh, the pronoun he and God is very difficult, then you should say she, or you should say it. God does not care about those things. We're all struggling through this together. So uh, if he is an issue for you, don't let that keep you from the goodness of God. can I just say that? And, and this is a space that gives you that freedom. But if he is good for you, wonderful. Okay, so moving on. May we walk in his path. For from Zion shall go forth. Zion is another word for Jerusalem, where this mountain, this city on a hill, right, this idea, "...shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and set terms for many peoples." Now, here's what it says. This is the judgment. This is the wisdom. This is the very heart. This is amazing. "...they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning herks. and one nation shall not rise against another, nor shall they train for war again." right the image of shalom is the very things that we used to divide the world to say we're bigger than you we're better than you this is our land this is our space this is our border this is our boundary those things that brought death will be used to bring life will be used to produce food that feed the hungry produce jobs for those that need it that's the very image Jeremiah, another prophet who's prophesying and speaking to the truth of the state of the nation of Israel and what's going on, gives this wonderful little oracle. It says, because he, Josiah, who was a prophet, who was a king, excuse me, uh, who brought about a great social reform in the nation of Israel, uh, says he dispensed justice to the weak and the poor. Because he did that, he prospered. What is prosperity? Prosperity is bringing justice Right? And goodness to the weak and the poor. That's what prosperity looks like. And is this not to know me? That's what, that's what the Lord, isn't that what it means to know God, to be intimate with God? Amos, who is probably one of the most famous kind of social justice prophets, who was so concerned with the way in which we treated one another. Over and over, Amos gives us a call to justice, gives us a call to righteousness in terms of treating one another well. And and Amos actually gives us the opposite of shalom. Here's the problem. Therefore, because you tax the destitute and exact from them levies of grain, but I didn't think God was political, Therefore, because you tax the destitute and this is in your Bible, by the way, this isn't just mine, right? Because you tax the destitute and exact from them levies of grain, though you have built houses of hewn stone, you won't live in them. You won't live in them. And though you have planted choice vineyards, you shall not drink their wine. Yes, I know how many are your crimes, how grievous your sins, how much you've wounded one another. And then he lays it out, that little colon, right? Here's the list. Now, what you aren't gonna see in this list is you didn't go to church enough. Just didn't go to church. You loved the wrong person. That's not the list. You didn't sacrifice the right way. Here's it is oppressing the just, accepting bribes, turning away the needy at the gate. Like this is the list. So the prophetic voice calls us to this understanding that what God is trying to establish, what he's trying to do through the chosen people, this nation that was chosen to mirror and reflect God's ideals, God's vision for the world, right, was shalom. And and the point, and, and throughout the prophets, we start to begin to see this promise of what, this idea of a Messiah, a one that would come and rescue and save. And the Messiah would be the path of peace. The image of the Messiah would be a path to peace, right? This Messiah, Jesus, he would be a path. So John the Baptist comes early on in the story of the Messiah in Luke chapter one, there's this beautiful poem that's given about John the Baptist, who's preparing the way for Jesus to arrive on the scene. And this is what it said about John the Baptist. And you child will be called prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now, I think it's perfectly legitimate for us to to reframe some of this language because for many of us who've been around in the church, we've been abused by the word sin. We've been abused by the word forgiveness and we've turned this into a transaction. I think what is happening here, what we ought to understand it is through the healing of our wounds. That salvation is the healing of our wounds, the wounds that have happened to me and the wounds that I have happened to others is how I like to say that. Because there's none of us in the room that would be like, I've never hurt anybody. Yeah lie, right? So that's Like he's going to show us this way, this knowledge of the salvation, right? That comes through the healing of wounds, through the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy, our God, by which the daybreak from on high will visit us. That's a big image. This visitation to shine on those who sit in darkness and death shadow. That is the opposite of Shalom to shine this light of peace and wholeness and forgiveness and healing that will shine in the darkness and death shadows to guide our feet into the path of peace, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And remember, John the Baptist was here to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. So he's actually guiding our feet still to this day into the path of peace, which was the Messiah. And the birth of this Messiah, the birth of this Jesus that we in faith believe is the fullness of the invisible God, that the birth of this Jesus was a promise of peace on earth. I mean, it's right there, right? Luke chapter two, the heavenly host, the angels, they show up one day and they start praising God and they're saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. That's your cue to like, give me a break, right? Peace among those with whom God is pleased. Peace, peace, peace is the fruit. It is the fruit of the pleasure of God, the wisdom of God, the vision of God for this world. And then we learn through people like Paul who have a massive conversion experience who's trying to work it all out in their whole life, who are really the the part of the formation of what it means to be the church, the called out ones, to show this way in this world. We learn that the kingdom of God itself, that thing that Jesus pronounced over and over again, is living a life of peace. In Romans, Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. Isn't that funny that that's right there in the Bible? Yet we lose our minds over these things, like what we eat and what we drink. Especially, I, I find it the strangest thing. People that are really—they call themselves Bible-believing Christians. I mean, they grow up in that environment, it's like, and we spend more time on what we should eat and what we drink. And it's like right there. Like, I mean, one—you know—you want to take a passage literally. This is a good one to do it, right? Like, that's not what the kingdom of God is, but of living a life of goodness. And shalom, wholeness, certainly Paul as a Jew thinks when he says peace, he is thinking of wholeness and shalom and joy through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, right? That's what it means, the kingdom of God. The image of the kingdom is an image of shalom on earth, permeating. And then the church itself, this thing that was founded on Peter, the sense of called out ones, chosen, elected, whatever word you like to use. You're not chosen or elected because you're any special. You're chosen and elected, go tell everybody else they're chosen. <laughs> You're chosen and elected to show a way of love and life and hope and joy for all people, because there is one God. And we express and understand this, but there's one. And so the church itself is an icon. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, in He describes what shalom inside the church as an example looks like. He says, but uh, put on then as God's chosen ones or called out ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion. Now, just tell me if this describes your church experience. Now, you probably did if you've been around Crossroads for a long time. But if maybe, maybe you can think back and you've been a part of some communities of faith and you go, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe what you see on the news. Does this really describe what 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 Christianity is known for? Are we known for our heartfelt compassion? Are we known for our kindness, our humility, our gentleness, our patience? It's like, I'm a leader in it. And I'm like, dang, we missed it. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another? I mean, let's just, can we just call a spade a spade? Even, even the Christianity that emerges into the political stratosphere in our nation, does it reflect this? Bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if one has a grievance against another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also do. And then this is beautiful. And over all these, put on love that is the bond of perfection. Love is what bonds us to everything on this planet, right? It is what flows through everything, love. And let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you were also called in one body. This is a beautiful vision for what it means to be a Christian. Does that mean that you hold some crazy belief and that you're not allowed to hang out with people that play secular music? <laughs> Does it mean that you shouldn't be at your neighbor, you shouldn't have friends? No, it means this is it. Like, I put on this piece of Christ and I live it in my life and it controls my heart. So I respond differently to the craziness around me. I respond differently to the violence around me. Like this shalom. And so what I'm saying to you and what you're bored out of your mind with, and I totally understand, and I really appreciate you struggling through this, is that shalom is the beginning and the end of God's vision for all of creation. That little survey through 2000 years of literature is to say it never stopped, it's all there. From the garden image of Genesis to the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21, it's baked into the whole thing. In fact, Jesus in Revelation 21, this image, right, this, this one who, is, who has conquered, not through violence, I want to say that right now, not through violence, but has conquered through sacrifice. Revelation 21 says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give a gift from the spring of life-giving water. Just I'm the beginning and the end. And Paul tells us in Ephesians, what is this Jesus, this one who claims to be the beginning and the end, right? And everything in between, he is our peace. It's at the beginning. It's what we're working towards. It's what it means to be human. See, I don't think, I love this statement. I don't believe that Jesus came to show us how to be divine. I think Jesus came to show us how to be human. That's what I think is the beauty of it. Jesus came to show us this is what it means to be human. You can do it. In fact, you can do even greater things than I've ever done. And we just don't believe it. We don't believe it. And so given this reality of how big peace is, it is no wonder that at the very heart of Jesus's teaching, his his message, what he would preach from place to place to place to place is this statement from Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, does that mean we should only call Christians children of God? No. But here's what it is wherever you see somebody building shalom, wherever you see an organization, an entity, a person creating a more just world, creating fullness, those are the children of God. You see it like that's that's a God's kit right there. Oh, but they're Muslim. They're not my faith but yet they're creating this world that's in the vision of God. They might have different words for it. I can promise you that's the spirit of God at work because I don't, I don't really think God cares who gets the credit. That's petty. So when I see things like come out of it, I, 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 this happened, I don't even know if I should be, we're out of time. Okay, listen. So just to be honest with you. So I was watching my Facebook feed. How many of y'all watch your Facebook feed? Okay nobody raised their hand high on that one. I just want you to know that. Everybody's like, oh, I gotta be honest. I'm sure. Right, so the other night, a pastor friend of mine Massachusetts makes this post uh, and he posts a, an article from the United Nations and then he makes a comment that says, uh, this is why this election means more than anything ever. Everything is set up for the Antichrist to come back or to come and it's all coming into place. One, One... World government, one uh, currency, like all this stuff, right? So I, I'm like, all right, I'll bite. <laughs> so I click on the link, right? And in the link, it's giving the, <laughs> the United Nations "Decade of Hope" plan, right? And it's laid out right there, like or it's like the decade of transformation. I forget what they're calling but they're coming into the closing 10 years on like a 20 year plan to get nations to do these horrible things. <laughs> Feed the hungry. Like let's end poverty together. Let's stop international conflict. Let's end war, right? I mean, it's just these lists of beautiful things that I couldn't not say anything, right? So I just copied the very text. And just to my friend, I said, hey man, love you, miss you, like put in the quote. And I said, this doesn't sound like the antichrist to me. This sounds like Christ. Hey, let's talk soon. (laughs) And I just let it go, right? And to his credit, like he messaged me and was like, yeah, I got a little carried away with that. I took that post down, right? But here's the thing, in Christianity, we're so quick to think if you don't see Jesus, then it's not good, it's not Jesus. How in the world, is an organization that is seeking to end poverty, to end war, to do all these things that Jesus says, this is the kingdom of God. How how arrogant and audacious and quite honestly, that pride that will lead to the fall. Like, how can we not say God is at work in that? How can we not as people who say, yes, this is what it's about, come behind that? It's hard for me to understand. And so here's the point. And this is the foundation for what I, I'm trying to get to. And you're like, it took you this long to get to the point, Ryan, we're supposed to be dismissing, right? The work of peace is the family business. And I think it's a privilege to be able to put what I think is beautiful and, and, and wonderful language to that of Christianity and Jesus. And I think we get a big head start, to be honest with you. I think Jesus gives us a big head start on walking into the reality of loving the world, of the universal nature of God. I really do believe that. I believe the cross is absolutely 100% necessary. I believe that Jesus, it was necessary for us to get it, to see what what real nonviolence looks like, what it looks like to take on the sin of the world, to become people who do that, to take on our cross. It's way harder than not smoking, right? Like it's way harder than not doing drugs. And I get it, like that's hard. But to actually take up your cross and bear the pain and the sin and the weight and the woundedness to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. That's a lot harder than our private morality. That's what saves the world. That's why Jesus can be called the savior of the world because he does save everything. And that's what God's working out through God's people. Right? And so here's the thing for your everyday normal life this week. What about it? If you're tuning in online, you're like, Ryan, talk to me. You've been talking to the room too long. You're right. I apologize. I forgot you were there. Okay, listen. This week, as we set up for the next seven weeks, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Try and understand as only you can through the eyes and the mind of Christ, this reality, that hope is hidden when peace is broken. When shalom is broken, there is no hope. There can be no hope. There can be no sense of, I'll ever be full. I'll, I'll never find justice. And so I want to encourage you to just meditate on that this week. Just let that sit, so write it down somewhere. When hope is broken, when ho- hope is hidden, when peace is broken. When peace is broken, hope is hidden. But the opposite of that is so true hope is open when shalom is present. And so we have these two big signs and maybe you went onto the online store and you have a t-shirt that says hope is here and maybe you're an orange dot of hope and and you say, I wanna be that. The only way we can be that and what propels us to be that is hope. We've experienced hope and so now we believe that this world can be transformed. We believe that lives can be touched, that fullness can come, that equity can be experienced, that we are allowed to be self-critical of our systems that we can actually say that there is no one economic system that is best, that all economic systems produce pain and produce an outsider and a winner and a loser. We get that freedom because we're working towards something and we don't have an allegiance to an economic system. We have an allegiance to a principle that only can come through the spirit of God at work. And there are some that, that live and work in that spirit of God that have the language of Jesus and the privilege of that and the gift of that and others that don't yet. And so for the next seven weeks, we're gonna explore this idea of peacemaking as our core identity, as a church, as people. We're gonna dream, what would it look like to create a way of discipleship, a path of discipleship that is grounded in disciples that are peacemakers, not really good theologians? What does that mean? We were having this conversation amongst some of our leaders this week, and it's hard when someone leaves a church. Sometimes I wonder if that's my spiritual gift to help people find a better church. (laughs) Just to be real honest with you. For them, I should say for them. (laughs) Um, And I don't want that. Like nobody wants, it's hard, it's difficult. And and you're still here and you might be in that category of wondering, like you've heard me say some things over this last year and you're like, I've never heard the Christian faith described as that, and that's hard. And I understand that. And I, I don't mean to diminish that at all, but we were dreaming this week What would it be like to create a church that the only reason why people left was because we weren't loving enough? That we didn't love our neighbors enough, that we didn't love the world, that we ceased to do justice. Not because we disagreed on how the cross worked or because we disagreed on what songs to sing or we disagreed on whether you should dip the bread in the wine or whether you should keep them separate or whether you should sprinkle baptism or immerse in baptism. Or whether we should say the Bible is a rule book or a book of wisdom, like what if we actually said the, the true viable reason why you should run away from a church is because it ceases to love the poor, it ceases to raise and level everyone, it ceases to bring to love everyone. That when that stops, that becomes the clear sign of hey, this isn't this isn't healthy. But to create a space that says, we're all gonna, we're never gonna understand God. To leave over like a, an understanding of God, in my opinion, is, is a bit strange because who can describe the indescribable? Like I have to have enough humility to say, you're trying to figure it out and I'm trying to figure it out and we're using our experiences and the, the scriptures and, and we listen to one another. But what would that look like? And so for the next seven weeks, here's what we're gonna talk about. And I gotta go through this really quick. All right, because your kids are so angry at me right now. All right. Here's the topics. Here's the questions we're going to explore. Next week, we're going to explore how is peace broken in our world? How is it actually broken in our world? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not other people. Okay, so how is peace broken in our world? Why is Jesus called the Prince of Peace? That's week three. We're going to explore this person of Jesus. And why is Jesus referred to as the Prince of Peace? Why is that important? What does it mean to have peace with God? What what does that look like? We're gonna reframe and reimagine and and look at this idea of salvation through Jesus. What does that mean? Then the fourth week, we're gonna say, what does it mean to be a disciple of the Prince of Peace? Disciple is just a fancy biblical, like churchy word for follower or student of. What does it mean to be a disciple of the Prince of Peace? Now, if you make it that far, I'm gonna do my very best to make sure you never come back after the following week, okay? So kudos to you if you make it to week four, but week five is gonna be a deal breaker for a lot of us, all right, even me, I might resign, right? Here's the deal. <laughs> what are the works that lead to the blessed life of an everyday peacemaker? Because we're gonna talk about the real hard work of peacemaking, not, and not, not theory, but in reality, like what are the commitments that we have to make to one another if we're gonna be everyday peacemakers and gonna be a community of peacemakers, that both as individuals, the scattered church, and as the gathered church, like what, is the, what are the works? And like some of you are like already railing, you're like, there's no works, fate, it's a gift, lest any man should boast. You have it, you have it memorized. I love it, I love you. So we're gonna talk about works, all right? So it's gonna be fun. Now, you probably won't make it past it, but if you do, If you make it past that one, like you get an A, right? Because then we're going to talk about what does it mean for Crossroads to be a collective of peacemakers and peacemaking groups? What does it mean for that? What does it it mean to say we are a collective of peacemakers and peacemaking groups that are coming together as individuals and groups all over the nation, all over the world? What is that vision for that? And then, I mean, as if that's not enough, right? Right? We're gonna ask this question. How and where can we as a community focus our work for peace on earth? Because there are so many challenges. There's so many things that we could tackle in our community, around the planet. We're, gonna, we're seeking and we're gonna be casting vision. Like, Where can we see, like what has God put in, in, our, in front of us where we can actually invest ourselves? We can invest our time, our talent, and our treasure and say, these are the three or four or five areas of peacemaking that we wanna lean into and we wanna do it locally and globally. I wanna be a spoiler alert. I am not for only, solving the, only engaging in the issues of our community. I believe that as followers of Jesus, as called ones we're to show what it means to also go to the farthest corners of the world. Not at the expense of our neighbors, but to neglect the farthest corners of the world, I think is really problematic. I don't think this church has ever done that, so I'm not saying that you do, but just a spoiler alert, all right? And then we're gonna finish with this. What exactly is our peacemaking vision for the next year, three years, and five years? What is it that we believe God's vision for our church was in the vision of the world? And what can we work towards together in the next year, three years, and five years? I wanna try and articulate that. I wanna try and articulate to say, this is what we're coming together for. This is what what we believe God wants to do through us through our understanding of faith. And I hope that that's something that we can then really commit ourselves to with the works that we're gonna talk about a few weeks earlier before it, all right? Now, I just wanna finish with the truth because the rest, all this before it has been a lie, all right? (laughs) I have an agenda. I have an agenda for you that are in the room. I have an agenda for you that are watching I have an agenda for those of you that might be watching this six months from now or a year from now in some group called Peacemaking 101. And we're using this series to help people understand what it means to be a part of Crossroads. Here's my agenda. My agenda is that you will accept God's invitation to live the blessed life of an everyday peacemaker. That you will accept that God is calling you into this extraordinary adventure called the Christian life. And that you will not see it as a get out of this earth invitation, but you will see it as an invitation to get into this earth because this is what God made. That you will see it as this privilege to say that God has given you a gift of trust, that God is behind it and working in it. You'll accept that invitation. And what happens when we do this the healing that takes place in our world when we actually live this out as people as we begin to share the goodness of God in a language our world can understand because our language understands the world of brokenness. Our language understands the world of, of problems and pain and injustice. There's a longing inside that is being brought out. Human conscious is finally ready to receive this truth that God loves everything and everyone and is working to redeem everything and everyone. And so there's something inside the human conscious that is being awakened to this, and this, this message needs to be told. This is good news. And as we proclaim this, and as we live it, and as we sacrifice for it, and as we give of ourselves, and as we celebrate it, and as we weep over it, and as it just encompasses all of who we are, we will show our world that hope has a name. And that name is Jesus. Because Jesus is absolutely beautiful. Because there is nothing about Jesus that excludes, everything about Jesus includes, everything. And when we find that, it propels us into everything. So we have a song for you. And as you listen to this song, as you hear it, just would you open your heart up to the next seven weeks? Would you make a commitment to tuning in, logging in, showing up, whatever works, and just hear me out? Just hear me out. And pray that God will open our hearts to not hear anything that we're saying or talking in a way that says anything bad about the past. That's not the point. We couldn't get here today if we didn't have yesterday. We couldn't. We're simply saying, this is where God is taking us. And we couldn't get here if we wouldn't have come here. Right, We can't get there without coming here. And so my heart is not in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think our leadership's heart is to disparage anything that has happened here over the last 23 years, 24 years. It's all part of the story. But we just believe God wants to continue the story. Let me pray for you. I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that God would cause God's face to shine on you in unique ways this week. I pray that as you leave this place, with a face mask on, as you leave this place and you walk into the seemingly solidarity at times and silence and seclusion of our homes that you'd experience his love and that that love would be so strong and be so hopeful that it would produce in you a desire to make peace for others and I pray that your hearts would be opened by the spirit that is present and moving in all living things that you' hearts and your minds would be open to the spirit over these next seven weeks to discern, is this God's vision for us and for God's world? May you find joy in having been together digitally, in person. May it give you encouragement for this week, to love, to be an orange dot of hope. Amen.